In the spring of the year 1665, a pandemic broke out, broke out in the United Kingdom in England. It was a terrible pandemic and actually quite a few people lost their lives. A number of businesses had to close down and schools had to close down as well. In fact, Cambridge University would cancel their classes for over a year starting in 1665. When Cambridge canceled their classes, there was a 23-year-old student, a graduate student there, who had to go home to his farm out in the English countryside. He had already been an unlikely student. He was uh, born premature. Uh, in fact, he was so small when he was born that his mother would later say that you could fit him in a pint glass. His father had died three months before his birth, and when he was three years old, his mother remarried a man that he hated, and eventually she left him to be raised by his grandparents on a farm. Well, he wasn't much of a farmhand. He was, again, a sickly young man and um, not all that strong. There was really nothing about him that stood out until he went to Cambridge. And at Cambridge, uh, several people observed that he was good with math, and he was also a pretty clear thinker. When the pandemic occurred, this 23-year-old man went home for the summer, and in the summer of 1665, Sir Isaac Newton invented calculus, wrote the fundamental laws of optics, formulated the universal laws of motion, and wrote down for the very first time the formula for gravity. Not bad for the summer of your 23rd year. What do you think you did the summer of your 23rd year? Here's the crazy thing about it. God actually used a pandemic to change the entire world with the scientific revolution whose father, the father of my modern science, was none other than Isaac Newton. Uh, without the pandemic, we may never even have heard of Newton. It was that pandemic sending him home. He found something to do with this time and forever shaped the world. By the way, Newton was also an, an avid Christian. Uh, he, in one of his confessions later in life, he confessed that when he was a teenager, he literally threatened to burn the house down with his mother and stepfather in it. He was so full of hatred and later he would confess. And here's an interesting little tidbit. I I always say this when I talk about Newton. When he died at the age of 86, the thing he was most proud of was not calculus, the invention of calculus. I'd be proud of that, I think. It wasn't, you know, formulating the laws of gravity and whatnot. The thing he was most proud of was that he died a virgin. He died a Christian holy before God. I'm not having fun with that. I'm being serious. This guy really was strong in his faith. So what I want to say is just this. Sometimes God uses the oddest things in order to accomplish his powerful purposes. The truth for you is this, you can take courage because God is not just going to get us through this pandemic. Listen, God is not just going to get you through this pandemic, God is going to use this very pandemic to give us a miracle we couldn't have gotten any other way. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? So week 10 for the church, maybe that's a good measurement for most of our lives as well. School has been shut down, and a number of your parents now have found yourselves um, faced with these uh, little terrorists that we call children every day of the week, every hour of every day. I know that the pandemic has been hard on our relationships. Some of us have had to defer not just vacations or trips that we were hoping to take, but even elective surgeries or, in some cases, treatments that we didn't really think of as uh, elective, uh, elective. I know that um, for some of us, our mental health issues have increased, uh, bad dreams at night, uh, probably an epidemic of loneliness. I think especially for some of you teenagers, extreme feelings of loneliness. Let's just pray that there's not an outbreak of 
really self-destructive behavior out of this loneliness. I know that for some of you, um, feelings of despair and feelings that this is never going to end, night terrors. Uh, let's be honest about this, guys, that for a lot of you guys, with the cancellation of sports, you've developed a new addiction, one that you're not proud of and one that you really need to kick. What I want to say is this. It's been really hard. We don't want to minimize that. But you know what God does? God is a specialist in taking pain and hurt and things like pandemics and turning them into miracles we could not have gotten any other way. And God's going to do this for you. I'm especially mindful the last few weeks about those of you who are graduating seniors, whether it be from universities or colleges or high school, how you worked so hard to get to your moment of graduation and we haven't been able to have a party for you. You know, we typically, uh, Skid for, for 20 years has had a Sunday night program for our graduates. Uh, you had to do the online thing and last night I know there was one uh, nationally broadcast and, uh, and, and that's great. I'm, I'm proud that Americans care. But I know that it's been like really hard on you. And I know that for some of you, um, not being able to hug your friends, not being able even to see your friends, it's been tough. But here's what I want you to know. We can take courage because what we know is that God is a miracle specialist. He's a miracle specialist and he does his best work in our darkest times. That's just what he does. That's what he always has, does, has done, and that's what he continues to do. It's what he always will do. So I thought about this text. It is Psalm 92. In fact, I want to do something before I read it to you. I want to show you something. So uh, I'm not real big on fruit. You, you might tell that I'm a meat and potatoes guy, but when I think about fruit, probably the last fruit that comes to my mind is this, what I consider to be pretty much the ugliest fruit on the planet. So I don't know how well you can see this. This is a date from a palm tree. In fact, uh, I thought about telling some of my date jokes just to kind of get you thinking about dates, and Julie advised me against it, um, I guess saving me from the, the disaster that would have been this sermon. But when you think about just a date for a moment, you know how you actually have to grow a date? So I didn't know this until I got started thinking about this sermon. So this is the fruit of a date, and, and um, inside of it is the seed. In order to grow a date tree, by the way, first you have to be in the right climate. There are all kinds of conditions that have to be met before you can grow it. Uh, so assuming all of that aside now, in order to grow this, uh, a tree from this, and by the way, you cannot look at this until there's a tree in there. The first thing you have to do if you want a date tree, a palm tree, it's kind of nasty. You have to tear it open. When you tear it open, there's a little tiny seed in it. I mean, it's just a, it's a pretty homely looking seed. Nothing special about it. But they say you take the seed and the first thing you have to do is you have to drown it. You have to drop it in water for two days. It just has to sit in water. And again, when you look at it in water, because I've gone on YouTube now and I know all about date palms. When you see this thing in water, there's just nothing about it that's attractive. You cannot predict by looking at this seed in water what's going to happen. When you take it out of the water, you have to bury it alive. Literally, you got to bury the thing alive. You put it in the ground. Once you bury it alive, you have to, uh, how shall we say, manure it well. That is, you have to, well, you can use your imaginations. Maybe you shouldn't. 
But you have to make sure that it's got plenty of chemicals, it's got plenty of food, and then you have to scorch it with the sun. That's why Jericho is called the city of palms because it's scorched with the sun and that's where date palms grow the best. It has to go through storms, it has to go through pestilence, it has to go through years and years and years of development. But at some point, this little tiny seed, here's what you may not know, this little tiny seed will produce 20 tons of dates, enough to feed four generations, because a typical date tree will live as many as 150 years and will produce anywhere from two to three to four hundred pounds of dates a year. And by the way, dates are really sweet. I mean, they don't look all that good, but they're awesome fruit. When you read in the Bible about the land flowing with milk and honey, are you aware of the fact that the honey that's spoken of there is probably dates? Because in the Middle East, they squeeze the date, they get the juice out, and it's got the consistency and some of the taste of honey. It's a land flowing with sweetness. But you could never look at that seed and predict that a four generations worth of food will be produced from it. This is what God is doing right now. God is allowing us to go through the burying alive, the immersion in the water, the scorching sun, the manure, he's allowing us to go all through this, but in the process, he's making us into a beautiful, strong, powerful, fruitful tree. He's doing that for you. Those of you who did not graduate with, with a pomp and circumstance, that's what he's doing for you right now. So now my text, Psalm 92. It's a psalm for the Sabbath. It's a celebrative psalm that essentially says God is going to take care of us. I'm only going to read the last four verses. Psalm 92, this is worth you remembering. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. When he says palm tree, he's not speaking of coconut palms. He's talking about date palm trees. But they're beautiful, very thick, stocky, sturdy-looking trees um, like bears. The righteous will flourish. I got dates on my hands. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God, and they will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is always right. He's my rock, and there's no turning in Him. This psalm is a statement that we can trust that God is crafting us as a good arborist, a good gardener. God is crafting us to be the strong trees He wants. Listen, guys, I'm going to say this. Now, if you're 17, 18, 19, and you missed your graduation or should have graduated from university and you missed that big circumstance, that big party, Pomp and circumstances in my head. I just want to tell you this. The reason that we want to have courage in the middle of this pandemic is because God is going to use this pandemic to make us into strong, may I use this metaphor, oak trees. You see, just this side of the Garden of Eden, God has had plenty of grass. He doesn't need any more grass. What he needs are some oak trees. In fact, in this very psalm, our author compares the wicked, which he considers to be like the grass in verse 7. They spring up like grass, but then they're destroyed. He compares those to those who are able to see what God is up to and to say, God is going to not just get me through this pandemic. This is what I want you to see. God is not just going to get us through this pandemic. He's going to use this pandemic to make something of us we could not have become any other way. He's going to use the pandemic. He used the pandemic to found modern science. He didn't just get Newton through it. He used it. I don't know what God's going to do for you. 
I know he's already doing some amazing things. I think North Boulevard is going to come out of this thing, a church that doesn't just have small groups, but a church that is grounded in small groups. That's one thing I know God's going to do with this. I know some of us were praying, God, would you help me focus on what's most important to you? God is using this pandemic. Some of you, somebody's going to come out of this. You're going to invent some kind of cure for cancer. I don't know what it's going to be, but God is going to use this pandemic to make us everything he wants us to be. That's what God does. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. Paul says we're saved by grace through faith, but then he says we're saved by grace through faith in order to do good works. But in verse 10, he says this, for we are God's workmanship, the NIV says. It is actually a Greek word that you know. It is the Greek word, we are God's poiesis. We get our word poetry from this. We're a piece of poem that God is writing. He's writing poetry with us. Think about it as a sculptor. You know, a sculptor starts with a block of stone that has to chip away a lot of stuff, everything that's not going to be the final product. In the same way, God is sculpting us right now. And when you go do a workout, some of you are getting back to your gyms and um, getting back to your workouts. You think about it. What you want in a good workout is to sculpt away all the fat and end up with just the muscle and the strength. You think about a work of art. When you want to go to oil painting, you generally put all your dark colors on first because light colors don't look light just by being on a white canvas. They look light because they're contrasted to darker colors. So in the same way, God contrasts the darkness we go through by painting his light on top of us. He actually uses the pandemic. You cannot look at this little guy, where did I put it? Somewhere. You cannot look at that seed and predict that 20 tons of fruit will come out of that. But it will. You can't look at this pandemic and see what God's going to do with it. You just can't. So let me give you a few things I want you to remember. First, this is going to pass. This pandemic is going to pass. So I got to see some of the graduation service last night that was on um, the television. And I heard a, a bit of the former President uh, Obama's uh, speech. And uh, he just made some good observations, I think. He said, look, Americans are strong. We've been through a lot. We've been through slavery. We've been through the Civil War. We've been through uh, the Spanish flu. We've been through World War I and World War II, the Great Depression, Vietnam. We've been through a lot. And he's right. Americans are strong. But I want to say even, I want to take it a step further. The people of God are strong. We, the people of God, we're strong because we know who is in charge. We've been through persecution. We've been scattered. We've borne the gospel on the wings of eagles across the planet in the darkest of jungles, in the driest of deserts. We've been the people of God. We have endured changes. We've seen civilizations rise and fall. We've been through war and pestilence. We are the people of God. And what we know is that God will not just get us through this pandemic, but he will use this pandemic to do something amazing for us. It's going to pass, my friends. It's going to pass. Don't worry. It'll shoot, it, will, it will soon end. Okay, here's another thought I have. It's just kind of random thoughts here. I know we're going to have some hard memories from the pandemic, but let me just tell you this. You're going to have some of your sweetest memories ever for the rest of your life from this pandemic. I, I promise you that. Here's what's going to happen in five years, 10 years, 20 years. Some of you who are 18 now, you're going to be telling your grandchildren, I live through the 2020 pandemic. And you're going to have some really sweet memories. Um, you know, one of the, to me, a kind of a bittersweet text in the Bible is found in the book of Joshua, chapter 5, and I think it's verse 12. I need to look it up, but right around there. 
The Israelites have just crossed over the Jordan River. They're about to take the land of Canaan. They haven't even taken Jericho yet. They celebrate the Passover, and the Bible says that the very next day, the manna that God had been given them from heaven stopped from that day forward. And for the first time, they ate of the fruit of the land. They ate some of these dates. They were at Gilgal, where all the dates are grown in Israel, just north of Jericho. So they put a bowl of manna in the Ark of the Covenant so they could never forget that God had provided them through the wilderness. What, what could we do? We ought to do something. What could we set aside that says, I will never forget that God got me through that pandemic and he did something so amazing for me. You're going to have some sweet memories, memories of your whole family gathered around and really unable to do anything. I suspect we're going to have some memories of people um, who just kind of rose to the occasion and did some awesome things. We've had new members place membership in a pandemic. We've had baptisms. We've had drive-in parties and drive-in worship services. We're never going to forget. I suspect we're never going to forget the word Zoom. It now has a new meaning for everybody. That all of us are going to have some really sweet memories. Don't squander the moment of the sweet memories, the house church you get to have, the little communion that you're enjoying. You're going to have some great memories from this, and those memories will guide us when we find our next difficulty. Let me say this, too. God has a way of providing. You know, maybe you've lost a job, so as I call around, we haven't had too many people lose jobs, but some of you have or been laid off. In some cases, it's possible you don't get the job back. And, I, and I, all I can say to you is, first of all, North Boulevard's here for you. We really are. But second, I want to say don't assume that God is abandoning you. He may be moving you to the very job he wanted you in all along. God, he just does things his way, and his way is better than our way. I read a story, this is a true story, in 2016, so we've heard a lot about nursing homes lately, an older woman, she was uh, 84, by the way, yes, that is older now, um, 84, an older woman, she's sitting in a nursing home eating a hamburger, and she gags on the hamburger turns blue and is about to die. Sitting next to her is a 94-year-old man. This 94-year-old man stands up, wraps his arms around her, puts his hands right here, just below the solar plexus here, does what's called the Heimlich maneuver, out comes a hamburger. Within five minutes, she's back to eating her supper. Saved her life. Well, you'll never guess who was sitting next to her. 96-year-old Dr. Henry Heimlich was in the same nursing home and was actually sitting next to her, the guy who invented the Heimlich maneuver. And she said later, looks like God has ways that are beyond our ways. You just don't know what God's going to do with this. God has some kind of, wow, what a metaphor, Heimlich maneuver he's doing to us right now to choke up something so he can give us what we actually needed. If you can forgive me for that metaphor, I'll be grateful. Let me say this, God will give us the miracle we could not have gotten any other way. So I was talking to one of you a couple of, uh, I don't know, several days ago, and uh, you were telling me, and I, I think you're okay with my sharing this, that your own kids who haven't been to church in some time have been joining you in your home for online services. And here was a man who was just so happy that he had his family gathered around again and they could worship God together. I mean, that was a miracle probably wasn't going to happen any other way. Look, some of you who missed your graduation party, you just don't even know what God's going to do with that. He's going to do something amazing. This is what God does, and we're going to be strong, strong as a mighty tree in the garden of God.
So I've read before that um, mother giraffes, when a baby giraffe is born, will kick them over repeatedly. You know why? Because the only defense a giraffe has from a predator is to get up and run fast. And so the mother giraffe, because she loves the baby giraffe, wants to teach the baby giraffe how to get up fast and start running. It makes the baby strong and saves the baby's life. So we're called to be strong in the kingdom. God's got all the grass he needs. He needs some oak trees or date palm trees, if you will. This is going to make us strong. So we may not know what God is up to, but God knows. And his will is both powerful and is good. I want to sing you a song. William Cowper, probably was pronounced Cooper in his day, died in the year 1800 as a prolific English hymn writer. Uh, he had some mental health issues. In fact, he spent some time in an insane asylum. On one particular occasion, he went out to a bridge, many of you have heard this story, to commit suicide. He was so down in the late 1700s. And right in the middle of all of that, he sat down and he penned what's become one of the most beautiful hymns, um, I think, in the English language. God moves in a mysterious way. I'm not going to sing the whole thing to you, but if you'll let me sing, I just want to, I want to read a few lines to you and then sing just a verse or two. God moves in a mysterious way. This is written by a guy who's contemplating suicide. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unsearchable minds of never failing skill, his treasures up. Uh, he treasures up his bright designs and he works his sovereign will. Then a little bit later, this verse. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Will y'all let me just sing you a verse or two of this? In fact, Amy Sue had her 50th birthday party, drive-up party, so we could distance this past Tuesday night. And while I was there, I ran into James Ryan. And James Ryan, age six, said to me, thank you for singing to us. So James, I just want to dedicate this song to you. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. And then the last verse. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter and he shall make it plain. Joseph should have been graduating high school. He was 17 years old. Instead, his 11 jealous brothers sold him as a slave into Egypt, 17 years old. He was a good slave, and he rose to the ranks in the house of a commander named Potiphar, but then Potiphar's wife wanted to seduce Joseph, and out of his righteousness, he 
fled from her and she made false accusations, he found himself in prison. But God didn't abandon him in prison. In fact, he rose to the ranks of uh, sort of a senior prisoner, and eventually he became an interpreter of dreams. And when the Pharaoh had dreams that couldn't be interpreted, they called upon Joseph, and Joseph came out. You know the story. Joseph said there are going to be seven good years followed by seven years of disaster, famine. Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph that he made him number two man in all of Egypt. And Pharaoh guided them through the seven healthy years, but then during the lean years, people came from all over the Middle East to Egypt because Joseph had stored up food. Among those who came were his 11 brothers. Can you imagine? They didn't recognize Joseph. They assumed he was dead. Joseph recognized them, and through a series of reveals, Joseph eventually gets to the point where he tells them, I am Joseph, your brother. And listen to these words. Joseph now, 25 years later, is 42 years old, hasn't seen his family in 25 years, doesn't even know if they're alive. And he says to them, I am your brother Joseph. I'm the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be angry with yourselves. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives with deliverance. So it wasn't you who sent me here. It was God. I don't know what God's going to do with this pandemic, but I know who God is. And I know that God is a God who takes our very pain and as a specialist in miracles... He won't just get us through this pandemic, but He will take this pandemic and give us a miracle we could not have gotten any other way. That's something to be bold about. That's something to be courageous about. That's something to sing about. Let's sing.